0: Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV Podcast. We're excited you came across this message. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit HopeChurchLV.com and click Connect With Us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread Hope Church to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. All right, all right. What's up, Hope Church family? Once again, excited to jump in John chapter 15. Open your Bibles. We're going to be there in just a minute. John chapter 15. As we jump right in today, I want to put a phrase on the screen that I do not want you to answer out loud, okay? Very important. We're gonna put a phrase on the screen, and and I want you to fill in the blank that is going to be on the screen. Get your mental notebook out. Whatever is the first thing that comes to your mind, I want you to fill in the blank on this phrase. Here it is. My life is so full of blank. What comes to your mind immediately there in your mental notebook, don't be nudging people next to you and having conversations This is for you only. My life is so full of blank. I'll give you some options that I've seen, heard, felt that maybe you would agree with. Some of you are here today and say, my life is so full of stress, so much stress, so many things going on. And then school is getting ready to start. My goodness, so much stress. Others of you are thinking, my life is so full of work feel like I never stop working. Wake up, check the emails, get to the office, get home from the office. I brought the office back home with me. So full of work. And then tomorrow, maybe not right in this moment, but tomorrow many of us will be saying, many of you will be saying, my life is so full of school, homework, projects, things to do. I can't see past the, the school. Others of you are here today, and I, I feel this a little bit. My life is so full of kids, <laughs> My life is so full of kids. The minivan's full. My life is full. Shout out to all you stay-at-home moms. Haven't talked to an adult in like three weeks. life is full of kids. Maybe a little more of a serious note. If you were honest today, you would say, my life's so full of anxiety. So much going on. I can't seem to unravel all the things happening inside of my life. My life is so full of doctor's visits. One doctor says, I gotta get a second opinion. Go to this doctor. They say something else. Gotta go to another doctor. My life is just so full of trying to figure out what's wrong with my body. My life is so full of bills. They seem to be piling up more than the money seems to be piling up, and I am drowning. Or maybe you would just give a general today and say, my life is full of problems. Maybe those were some of the things you filled in that blank with but maybe something else. The reality is I'm in a room right now full of several hundred people, most of which, because this is a church service, are followers of Jesus. And we come into this room every single week in different varying degrees of of life experience. Some of us are coming up here today on the top of a mountain. We are riding high on the mountaintops. Praise God for that. But there's some people here today and that song just resonated with you because you are down in the valleys Most of us are probably somewhere in between. And here's what I'm wondering and where I wanna lead us to this morning in our message. I'm wondering, again, nobody say it out loud, but how many people in your mental notebook would fill in the blank with this, my life is so full of joy. Praise God if you're here today and you're thinking, man, that's my testimony. Praise God. Be praying for the people around you because in my experience That is actually not the life experience and everyday living of followers of Jesus. And that's a big deal because this is a word we see all over our culture, but we see it a lot in the Bible. And it matters because Jesus actually tells us that this is something that's available to us in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the amazing, wonderful aspect of the good news of the gospel that Jesus purchased for us. When he died on the cross for our sins, one of the things that we enjoy and is available to us in Christ, in the gospel, is joy. Let me show you two foundational verses for us the next few weeks. Two foundational verses. The first one's in the Old Testament. The next one will be in the New Testament. Hopefully you have it, John 15, open there. But the first one is from King David, Psalm 16. He's talking to God, and here's what he says. You make known to me the path of life. Check this out. In your presence, there is fullness of, say it out loud, joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is incredible. This is saying, David's saying, when I am with God, there is fullness of joy. In the original Hebrew that this was written in, it's a word that means satisfying abundance. Not only that, but pleasures forevermore. Where is that found? He says, in his God's presence. That's available to us in a relationship with God. Give you another one, John chapter 15. We're gonna study this more later, but Jesus is talking to his disciples about what it means to be with him. The Bible word is abide in him, remain in him, walk with him. And then he says, I've said all this to you for a reason. Look at it. These things I have spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, say it out loud, full. It's available to us right now if you're a follower of Jesus in his presence Full, completely satisfied. It's a it's the word picture of a of a bucket or a cup just overflowing. Overflowing with what? With joy. And here's the best part about this. There is nothing you and I can do or have done to earn that. This is just freely given. It's something we need to remind ourselves of. It's like this stuff that we get from the gospel, from our relationship with Jesus, we did not earn it, we don't deserve it, and it is freely given to us and available to us who are in Christ. And I just wanna say many people in the room are followers of Jesus, but there are some people here that aren't. I hope you hear all throughout this message and every message here at Hope Church, there is nothing you can do to earn right standing before God. But there's a penalty to be paid for your sin, and Jesus paid that. So today, I hope you hear of this amazing good news of Jesus. If you were to come to him by faith and surrender the control of your life to him, he will give you in exchange life, and life that has this kind of joy available in it. So here's the question, and why I began this morning this way. If this joy is available to all who are in Christ right now, won by the the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. If it's available to us right now, here's the question we're gonna wrestle with. Why are we not living lives overflowing with joy? Maybe you filled in the blank with joy, but just in my experience with people not out there, but in here as Hope Church, A lot of us are not living this kind of life. Why? Today we begin this brand new series we've been promoting. A lot of people have been asking questions. What's the deal with this Killjoy series? Here's why we are doing this series. We are praying that we will answer that question. I believe one of the reasons, if not the reason, many followers of Jesus are not experiencing joy is because there's some stuff under the surface. We don't see it here at church, but some stuff under the surface of our lives that are doing exactly what we named the series after, killing our joy. So for the next several weeks, we are going to take the word of God and we are going to call out some of these sins under the surface and equip us as a church family to wage war against them. So if you are ready to buckle up and get in the Word of God for the next few weeks, say, I'm ready. ready. Some of you aren't ready, but we're going anyways. Here's where we're headed today, kind of a foundational message for our series. This is what we call the sermon in a sentence. Joy is a gift freely given to me in Christ that I may not fully experience because of the sin in me. I'm gonna read that again. We're gonna unpack it over the next 26 minutes or so. Joy is a gift freely given to me in Christ that I may not fully experience because of the sin in me. We're gonna unpack that by looking at one truth, One problem and one solution. Pretty simple outline today. One truth, one problem, one solution. Here's the truth. We already mentioned it, but I'm gonna dive deeper and we're gonna study John 15 deeper together as we look at this truth. Here's the truth. The joy of Christ is available to us. The joy of Christ is available to us. We already read it, but now I wanna work through this verse a little deeper. John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. My joy may be in you, it's Jesus, and that your joy may be full. Jesus mentions joy here twice, but it's actually a word that's mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. And it's important because it's a word we hear a lot, so I don't wanna take anything for granted this morning. I think we need to do some work, even understanding what do we mean by joy. So I don't know what you do when you have a question that you need to answer. The first thing I do, like most of you, is I go to Google, (laughs) And I Googled this week, what is joy? Google gave me a definition, see how you feel about it. Google said, joy is a feeling of great happiness. Hmm. I don't know how you feel about that, but I did not like that definition. (laughs) Because I've experienced, and I'm sure some of you have too, a real sense of joy in my life In very unhappy situations, there is actually a way to be joyful and not happy. So what is joy? And by the way, let me prove that to you. Put that verse back on the screen. There it is. Some of you know where Jesus heads after he says these things. But right after, hours after Jesus spoke about his joy and their joy, his disciples, he was nailed to a Roman cross for the sin of the world. That is not a very happy moments. And for three days before he rose again, the disciples were doubting, scared, fearing for their lives. Even after he rose again, they knew that their hope was in the right place, but the world around them hated them for their message. Not very happy times, but very joyful times because of what they had in Christ. Others of you, like me, have been to funerals, celebrations of life from seasoned saints that live long, healthy, Christ-centered, obedient lives. And they one day took their last breath on this earth and they took their first breath in the presence of God himself. And Jesus said to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's what we all have to look forward to. And like you, I've sat at services where that story is shared. You better believe there's some joy in the room, but there's not happiness There's still sadness. Happiness, see, is based off circumstances. Joy, we just read, is based off a person, the person of Christ Jesus. So it's very important that I lay this foundation because what you are not going to hear from this pulpit for the next five weeks is the word of God telling you that happiness is promised to you in this life. I'm here to tell you today that is not promised to you in this life. A no bumps in the road Everything works the way you want to. You get everything you want kind of life is not promised in this book. In fact, I would challenge some of your thinking if that's what you think. That's actually sometimes stifling to your growth. See, in most experiences I've seen and heard and felt, it's the storms of life where God actually grows us the most. So don't misunderstand where we're going. Joy does not equal happiness. Joy does not equal happiness. It's far more resilient and helpful than that. So how do we get this joy? Jesus just told us in John 15, we get it in him. Some of you need to do this this week. Grab a good cup of coffee, open up early morning hours to John chapter 15 and just read through Jesus's words in John 15. He's gonna talk about what it looks like to to be with him He's gonna, look like, he's gonna talk about what it looks like to abide in him. He's, he's inviting disciples then and disciples now what it looks like to walk in relationship to him. And then he talks about joy. Don't miss this. Without Jesus, there is no joy. That means even you hard workers, you type A, you get it done. You cannot make yourself joyful. And by the way, I feel you because that is me. Tell me what it is and I'll do it. Well, I cannot by myself make myself joyful and neither can you. That's why, look at that verse. It says that your joy may be full. What does that mean? When the original language that this is written in Greek, it means that it's possible for me to receive. What is it saying? This is available, Christ follower, but it is not automatic, This is not guaranteed. Well, what do you mean? Jesus just said the way to guarantee it, the way to take advantage of it is to be with him. The way to have fullness of joy is with him abiding, but don't miss this, outside of that, you will not find joy. That's why A.W. Pink said it this way, when fellowship with the Lord Jesus is broken, joy disappears. And here's my burden for us as a church I believe there are far too many followers of Jesus living in a joyless Christianity. You're not experiencing the joy that Jesus Christ offers you. Why is that? I'm glad you asked that question because it is our second point for the sermon. The problem is that there are things killing our joy. Right now in all of our lives, there are things killing our joy. And if that is true, if joy is what it is, such fullness, such abundance, and there are things killing our joy, I don't think it's an overstatement here to say it is vital for Christians to identify what those things are and do something about it course, you could probably fill in the blanks with a lot of different ways that your joy is being killed, but I think they all lead back to a word that is not very popular. It has become politically incorrect, but that does not change the fact that it is still as devastating and deadly as it has ever been. Sin. What is this word. I, I'm no fool. I'm looking around the room, and I know we all have different thoughts and feelings, even just looking at this word sin. When when you take the Bible and you look at what sin is, sin is what's wrong with the world around us. But sin is what's wrong with what's going on in us. It's the missing God's standard for what is right. It's outright rebellion. It's willfully doing the things we shouldn't, and woefully not doing the things we should. Romans tells us actually what our sin earns us. Some of you have seen this verse, really famous verse of scripture. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God for the second part of that sentence. We say hallelujah and amen, but don't let us forget the first part of the sentence, church. The wages of sin is death. Now we gotta do some work here because many Christians, many people in this room right now are reading that verse and saying, yeah, that's a great verse. That's our evangelism go-to verse. That's what we put in our back pocket to convince people that don't have a relationship with Jesus that what that earns them, their sin earns them is eternal death. But praise God that Jesus Christ offers free salvation to anyone who would come to him. And I say again, yes, And amen. But let me remind you, the book of Romans was written to Christians in the city of Rome. The wages of sin, Hope Church, is still death even after you've been given life in Christ. Some of you are confused by that. Let me clarify There's a couple different types of death that we're talking about here. If you're talking about spiritual death, hear me, follower of Jesus, you will never pay the penalty for your spiritual death. You have been rescued from that, and that is something Jesus paid on the cross. The penalty of sin will never be paid by the follower of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus paid it. The problem is we've relegated that verse to an evangelism verse and not realized that the wages of my sin are still creating death and destruction all around me. The wages of sin, even as a follower of Jesus, have deadly consequences. And some of us are feeling that. Death to relationships, death to trust, death to to my fellowship with God. Again, please don't hear me. Nothing could ever put To death, your relationship with God. Your relationship with God has been sought and sealed by Jesus Christ himself on the cross for your forgiveness. But you and I know when we're walking in sin, we don't really wanna hang out with God. We don't wanna spend time with God. What's that? That's our fellowship with God. It's putting to death our fellowship with the one who saved us. Death to growth in Christ. Death to fullness of joy. This is the power of sin in our lives. Praise God. He's paid the penalty for our sin, but the power of sin still lurks. And I want to to be careful this morning to just call out the fact that I understand some of you are living right now in the wasteland that is sin and the effects of it in our lives. So we need to be reminded as we study this that when God saved us, we are his, but Even after we are saved, there is a deadly foe inside of us that the Bible refers to as the flesh. Look how Paul talks about the flesh in Galatians 5. He's going to describe what's going on inside of every single Christian on planet Earth right now. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keeping you from doing the things you want to do. See, the reality that we always need to remind ourselves of is there is a deadly foe inside of us called the flesh. And always want to remind you, church family, it is never getting better (laughs) The flesh is never getting better. It doesn't matter how many self-help books I read, how much therapy I go to. Those are great things, but it is not enhancing my flesh. Anybody else like surprised at how just bad they still are? (laughs) Just me. Okay, praise God. (laughs) I've been doing this for 20 years. Started following Jesus as a senior in high school and sometimes my thought life and the things that I do and the things that I don't do, I'm thinking, shouldn't I be further along than this? What is that? That's the flesh. That's why we always tell you, sanctification, us becoming more and more like Jesus, it's a process. What does that mean? Three steps forward, two steps back. Praise God, that's still one step forward, but some of you are here right now and you've been taking four steps forward and five steps back and wondering if the spirit of God still dwells in you. What is this? This is what's going on inside of us at all times. Listen, there are things that I will battle until the day I stand before Jesus. And finally, in that glorious moment, he will take away the presence of sin. But until that day, Hope Church, we fight. And I do mean fight. Because joy is available to us in Christ. But there's these things that are under the surface, killing our joy. So, what's the solution? Here's where we'll land the plane for our time together this morning. The solution: destroy what kills our joy. So that's pretty violent language there, Scott. Destroy what kills our joy. Do you have a a Bible verse for that? Put some Bible on that for me. Please turn to Romans chapter eight, verse 13. We're gonna camp out for the next 12 minutes on this verse as we look at what it looks like to destroy what kills our joy. Romans 8, 13, underline it, circle it, live it because it's your hope for joy. Love hearing all those Bible pages turning, love that. Paul says, "On the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Work through that for just a few moments. If you live by the flesh, you will die. Again, I wanna be careful here. Some of you are living here. You're thinking, I got no joy. I have no peace. I have no patience. I don't have any fruit of the spirit. I feel like I'm I'm living a zombie life. I've supposedly been given resurrection life, but I'm not experiencing it. I'm dying out here. How how do we experience it? The next few words. If by the Spirit you put to death the things of the body, you will live. Don't miss this, church. Every single one of those words is essential. Let's look at them. By the Spirit's. It's in Jesus' Father, where the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. This is an amazing reality that we are given in Christ for free because of what he's done for us. I know you're like, it don't feel like God lives in me. I know it sometimes doesn't feel like that, but God by the Spirit, by His Spirit, lives inside of you. When you came to trust Christ, He came to dwell inside of you. And that is your only hope to do what we're challenging us by the Word of God to do in this series. By the Spirit. Listen, you did not have enough strength to save you from your sin, and you now still have not enough strength to stand against the sin that still indwells you. It's by the Spirit. Only he has the power in us to do what we're called to do. But notice the next word. By the Spirit, you. You see, it didn't have to say that. It could have just said, by the Spirit, Some spirit, fairy dust, it's done. (laughs) So what is this partnership that we see? It's not just by the spirit, because Paul says by the spirit, you. This is a kingdom mystery. In some partnership that I can't fully wrap my head around, but I feel there's a spirit in me, but then I must partner with the spirit to do what? To do what the next word says. Put to death. It's pretty light actually in your English translation. It's a word that means kill, annihilate, or as we said, destroy. Destroy. This is violent imagery that I feel it in the room. Some of us are a little uncomfortable with. And I just wanted a nice sermon to help me feel a little better going into school week. Let's be honest with you, I actually think that's part of the problem. We read verses like this and we're actually uncomfortable. Why? Because we've actually gotten so comfortable with this sin that we we don't see like we should. This indwelling thing in every single one of us that is a cancer robbing us of our joy. And if you're like me, there are times when I begin to coddle my sin rather than kill it. We believe this lie that we're all just really good people trying to do our best, and we live in this kind of therapeutic, self-love kind of culture, saying, man, if you just do you and just try not to hurt anybody else, you're doing just fine. The problem is there's some people out here right here in this sanctuary that are trying not to hurt other people, but they're killing themselves because there's something in them that is ravenous and deadly. I want to be careful to call out a couple things that can be true at the same time. Number one, every human being is created in the image of a good and faithful and incredibly amazing God. We should celebrate that and honor that. We've all been created in the image of God. Praise him for that. At the same time, there is a flesh that dwells in every single human being that has zero mercy on taking you out. And I know that's not popular, but we're up here to talk about what's true because it's wrecking some of your lives. And if you're like me, there's been times where I've been guilty of making excuses for my sin rather than making war against it. And that's the kind of language Paul uses here. It's like wartime language. Christian counselor named Ed Welch, he was talking about this wartime mentality when it comes to our sin, and it's pretty intense, but hopefully it's helpful for you. He said, the only possible attitude talking about our sin is a declaration of all-out war. See, there's something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves, and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs and you are ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. My fear is there are so many followers of Jesus who have lost their vigilance. We've been lulled to sleep by the flesh in us and the world around us. And there are some things under the surface that are just wreaking havoc on our lives and our families and our ministries. And the very thing God has won for you, which is joy. So, the rest of the series is simply us taking the word of God and helping us to call out these kill joys, these sins under the surface. Listen, church, we will not drift into joy. We must destroy what kills our joy and take hold of what He has won for us. We need to make war. Pastor John Piper had some good things to say about what it means to make war. He said this, until you believe that life is war, that the stakes are your soul, you will probably just play at Christianity with no blood earnestness, no vigilance, no passion, no wartime mindset. If that is where you are this morning, your position is very precarious. The enemy has lulled you into a sleep or into a peacetime mentality as if nothing serious is at stake. And even in a heavy message like this, I just wanna implore you, something serious is at stake. And I'm just rallying us up together as a church family to say, by the power of the Spirit of God in us, let's fight it for his glory. Let's put to death the deeds of the body. In the 1600s, there was a, Puritan preacher who wrote a wrote a book that uh, is called "The Mortification of Sin." Sounds like a New York Times bestseller, doesn't it? <laughs> "Mortify" is a is a word that in 17th century English meant to kill. And John Owen, for 86 pages, John Owen, the Puritan preacher, is talking about this. Verse Romans 8:13. I actually just read through it again. I'm reading through it again, rather. It's so good. I encourage you to pick it up on Amazon. It's a tough read. It was written in the 1600s, so it's a tough read. but one of the things he says that I've told you once and I'll tell you a thousand times, when it comes to this idea of putting sin to death. I love how John Owen, when he talks about mortifying the, that thing in us. Out of Romans chapter eight, verse 13, John Owen says, and we should believe it and live it and remind ourselves of it often. He simply says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. See, that's how we need to view sin, church. Not just a bad habit, not just an annoyance in our lives, not just something handed down through generations of my family Something that is killing the joy that Jesus makes available to me. I need to be killing sin or it will be killing me. And I understand some of you are living that right now in your Christian life. Wondering if Jesus really meant what he said when he said that he gives you life and life to the full. Maybe this series is going to be a spotlight by God's grace to call out some of these sins under the surface. Right now, you look the part this morning, but pride is ravaging your life and stealing your joy. Envy, selfishness, lust, laziness. These are under the surface that are killing your joy. Unforgiveness, judgmentalism, gluttony, anger, comparison, pornography, addiction, indifference to a whole bunch of things we ought not be indifferent to as Christians. Indifference to racism, indifference to poverty, indifference to all the evil around us. And we've just gotten really comfortable with the things that the Bible says we should be killing. We tidy up our outside lives with curated pictures and we hide behind an American dream wall. But under the surface, we're dying. Some of you are like, that's a little dramatic. I'm just telling you, I've walked with people and walking with people. And even as we speak, there's conversations happening on our campus with people saying, I'm dying. All the while, this joy is available to us in Christ. Let's take hold of it. Close, I wanna call out a common mistake in this situation and this conversation. See, it's a lot easier for me to say, yeah, I agree with that. And that pesky devil, man, he's out to get me. (laughs) That's true. The Bible says there's a roaring lion prowling around. He is the enemy. His name is Satan. That is something we war against 100%. Ephesians chapter 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and things we cannot see. But I just want to call us back to the reality, church. My biggest enemy and your biggest enemy is not Satan. Some of you need to hear that. My biggest enemy is not Satan. My biggest enemy is not the progressive world system that I think is taking this thing down. My biggest enemy is not political system or political party that I most disagree with or a thousand other things that I'd love to blame my sin on. Listen, church, my biggest enemy is Scott Worthington. Your greatest enemy is you. I'm just telling you, the sooner we realize that, the sooner we, by by the Spirit's power, can fight and put to death the things that are killing us. But some of us don't want to hear that because that's a little too close to home. I'd rather blame something outside of me rather than looking in the mirror and saying, it's me. Help me, Holy Spirit, fight the things in me. That's what we're gonna do in this series. Let's open the word. Let's be open. Let's be honest. Let's fight by the spirit's power. What's waging war against us. Let's wage war back. Let's tell God and ask God to help us to win and to take a hold of the joy that he has given us. I wanna close with encouragement. Hebrews chapter 12, such an encouraging verse. Look at it on the screen. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what does that mean? There are people of God that have gone before us. We're not the first ones to do this. Because of that, let us, same kind of language as Romans 8, let us lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's what we want to do in this series. Let's run towards joy. Let's run towards what He's created us for. How do we do that? The only way is the next verse. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, I don't want you to leave today discouraged. I want us to leave today aware and vigilant, But I want us to leave today encouraged. Why? Joy is available because there's a king on a throne right now who won our joy. What is his joy in this verse? Our redemption. We look to Jesus, the one who started this faith, the one who for joy that was set before him, what on earth is the joy? Then you're gonna talk about being put on a cross. The joy is your redemption, church. And because of that now, we can take hold of that joy. So if you're here today and you're looking for some hope that joy is available because Jesus is alive and on the throne, we can look to him and hope is available, not because of your power or your strength, but because of his cross and his resurrection. Some of you are here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Man, I hope you've heard throughout this message, Jesus has done everything necessary. You will not find joy apart from Christ. And that's not him being stingy. That's him leading you to live the life that he created you to live in relationship with him. Just like we do every week, we're gonna have some pastors up here in just a moment. Maybe you wanna have a conversation about what it looks like to follow Christ. We would love to talk to you, love to show you from the scriptures what this life looks like. For the followers of Jesus in the room, the, the response is very simple. If you would be so bold, and he probably already has, would you just ask the Spirit of God, what are those sins under the surface in my life, God? Listen, this isn't guilt. If you ask him that, this isn't the guilt of God. I want you to hear this is the grace of God, like a scalpel getting that thing under the surface that's actually hurting you and killing your joy. Let him Put that spotlight on your life. Why? Because he's leading you out of what is killing you into what has given you life, which is joy in him. So maybe it looks like you coming down to this altar, like Thursday, the altar was people just coming down. And listen, I wanna remind you every week, there's nothing special about this altar. You don't get closer to God by coming here, but here's what I've learned. A posture of humility, kneeling down before a holy God, that does a lot to me. So maybe when we stand to sing, you just wanna come down here and just in a posture of humility, just say, God, you know the things that are in my life. Help me by your spirit to put them to death. If you wanna pray with one of our pastors, we're gonna be up here. We're always available just to pray for whatever God may be leading you to pray for and to ask for, to petition him for. We're gonna sing about the greatness of God right now. And I just wanna ask the Holy Spirit to do exactly what he wants in this place. He's the boss. So, Jesus, that is our heart. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what's available in Christ. I believe you've spoken to every heart in the room. Whatever it is that we need to do to obey the voice of God, would we do it, Lord? Regardless of what people think, regardless of who's around us, would we do it? Following you in obedience, it leads to joy. We love you, Lord. Thank you for what you're about to do in Jesus' name.